me. Philippians chapter 3 this morning. We're going to begin looking at verse 1. If you've been with us, you know we have been in this journey uh, for quite a few weeks now. And um, we're going to look today at how a person can know he or she is in right standing with God. That's a uh, uh, something that should be on every person's heart. Every person probably and likely has contemplated this. How do I know when all is said and done that I'm in right standing with God? Well, God's word clearly speaks to that today. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord to write to you again about this is no trouble for me and a safeguard for you. In other words, he's writing about the threat of false teaching. It's something that he's repeated. He said, it's not troubling to me, and it's important for you. And he says, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. We're going to pray in just a moment over this text. But before we do so, I want to share uh, just an event that happened a number of years ago. You know, over a number of years, our youth enjoyed summer camp at Camp Cherokee in southeast Tennessee. We had a lot of great memories and a lot of funny stories, and Jack Manus and T.M. Manus could attest to that. But we also had what I call some providential just misses. If you've ever carried a group of children or youth, you know what I'm speaking about. It's those times when things could have gone wrong, but by the grace of God, they didn't. I remember Claude and Lucy's oldest child, Shannon. It was during a storm at Camp Cherokee. She needed to get to the dining hall. It was thundering. It was lightning. There was wind. And as she was running to make her way to the dining hall, a, a medium-sized pine fell, missing her by about five feet. Then there was a time that uh, David Crump stepped on a copperhead. We were at night making our way toward uh, a Vesper service, a campfire service. David stepped on it, and Luke was in line right behind him and, and saw it. There also was a time that I was riding with Tommy Manus into camp, and to understand what a trek that was, it was a 14-mile travel that took 45 minutes winding in and around hills. Believe it or not, we met a charter bus heading the opposite way. They had dropped about 45 or 50 kids off at camp, did not know we were there, totally on the wrong side of the road. I don't know how Tommy got us out of that, but I'm thankful. The only thing we lost was Karen's luggage. We had to go back and get that later. You know, I wondered, what if parents knew what we went through? They probably wouldn't have sent their 
children with us, but I'm thankful for God's protection during those journeys. But, you know, there was one other misstep that I'm reminded. It wasn't life-threatening, but it was very problematic. And I want to share that as we begin uh, our study of Philippians chapter 3. It was probably about 20 years ago, and I had to come back early from camp. I had to officiate a funeral service, so in the middle of the week, I came back, I say, on like a Wednesday, and the rest of the group would not come back until Saturday. The bus driver we had uh, driving the charter bus for our group was not familiar with camp, and so as he was making his way back, we had a, a problem that our counselors fell asleep. I imagine they had stayed awake most of the week, and they figured they could finally get some shut-eye. But as our bus driver began to make his way to Knoxville, Tennessee, he made a tactical error. He didn't follow. We didn't have GPS in those days, and he decided he was going to take 75 north, due north toward Lexington, instead of continuing on 40 east, making his way toward I-81 north. 45 miles into that trip, one of our counselors awakened and realized the bus was heading the wrong way. I want to pick that back up at the end of the message, but join with me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, as we look at Philippians chapter 3, I pray within the sound of my voice that every person would contemplate his way, her way, if it is in agreement with your way. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, at the beginning of Philippians chapter 3, Paul speaks of two ways a person might try to attain right standing with God. And these two ways are clearly distinct and totally different one from the other. One might attain or seek to attain a right standing with God by the works of the law, by trying in our lingo to be a good person. Others might rightly choose to gain right standing with God by justification or justification through uh, the work of Jesus Christ. Paul knew both of these times because he had experienced both personally. There was a time early in his life when with great fervor he was trying to attain approval from God. He was trying to do the religious things. He was depending on not only what he did but to whom he was born. But then there was a time later in his life that he realized that he was heading the wrong way in that. That right standing is not attained by what we can do because we are sinners. But right standing comes through placing one's faith in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to look at what Paul has to say about this. But I want you to honestly ask yourself this. Have I chosen the right way? Have I chosen the right way to gain right standing with God? It's a simple question, a question that we must answer honestly, but a very pertinent question because the answer to that question determines our eternal destiny. I appeal to you today on the authority of God's word 
that the only way a person will ever be declared right in God's eyes is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you not to seek to be a good person. I'm not telling you not to seek to do right things. But the truth of the matter is our hearts are sinful. Even in doing good acts, we can have wrong motives. Sometimes we can tell someone you look nice, but really in our thoughts we're thinking you don't look all that. And, and we may be okay for one day, but the next day we'll fall short. And as Paul was depending, and we're going to look at this, on his relationship with Abraham and how being a Jew of Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, all of these things that he might try to credit on his good side, the fact of the matter was there was one truth that outweighed all of that. He also was a child of Adam, a sinner by nature and by choice. I'm thankful that on the road to Damascus, he came to understand this. Not everyone does understand this truth, that we're sinners, that we are, are spiritually bankrupt. I'm, I'm thankful that Paul did, but there was a time in Paul's life when he did not understand this. In fact, there was a time in his life, the Bible tells us, that he fought against this way with great fervor. And so here in our text today, Paul is comparing his earlier life, all of the achievements and the positions that he possessed and that he clung to in that earlier life, but he's comparing it to the more excellent way of life, the true way to right standing with God, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. Basically, as I was looking at this this week, it appeared to me, Paul is giving a personal testimony a conversion testimony, even though he doesn't specifically mention the road to Damascus here. He does elsewhere, at least twice in the book of Acts. Nonetheless, he is comparing what it means to be in Christ to that which he used to trust. You know, I want to look at three things today. First, Paul's life before coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It was a religious life void of true righteousness you know we're first introduced to the apostle paul in acts chapter 7 at that time his name was saul now god changed his name after his conversion on the road to damascus but before that time and as described in acts chapter 7 we read of paul standing and affirming the death of stephen who was being killed for the very way that paul would later adhere to in that time in his life we might describe Paul with this one word fervor he had a great religious fervor he he was focused on all of the external things so his fervor was wrongly directed I wonder have you ever encountered a person say in an argument maybe at work someone comes I look at Ted there he, he's worked uh, at Lowe's and he knows something and somebody comes in there and they swear they know everything and all the time Ted is saying you have no idea what you're saying I, I know this I sell this I do this all right and that person goes on and on with great fervor it doesn't matter how much fervor they have if they're wrong and that's the way Paul was here he, he had great fervor in fact we read in Romans 10 after he he had the 
fervor directed in the right way toward Christ, that, that he had a great burden for Jews who, like he early in his life, had a great fervor, but it was wrongly directed. Here in Philippians chapter 3, in verses 5 and 6, we see the things that Paul trusted in before he came to know Christ. He goes through a, a five-star list. He presents his Jewish resume, and it's impressive. Notice what he says in verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, that was the day to be circumcised for every Jewish male. There would be proselytes who would be circumcised as adults. Even, even Ishmaelites that would follow would be circumcised as adults. But a true Jew would be circumcised on the eighth day. Of the nation of Israel, Paul was not a proselyte. He didn't get adopted into the nation of Israel uh, by his beliefs. He was born a Jew. Of the tribe of Benjamin, <coughs> Benjamin was the tribe from which the first king of Israel, Saul, came. It was the tribe that aligned itself when the kingdom split. Benjamin aligned itself with Judah and the Davidic line. Uh, Benjamin was the one progenitor, the one father of all the tribes who was born in the promised land. And so he said, not only am I a Jew, but I'm of the best stock of Jews, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, he says. All of these things have to do with his identity in birth. But, but also, what about what he did? He said, not only that, but regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. I'm a Pharisee. I was one. He said, I, I, I accepted and adhered and was accepted by the most revered law-abiding group among the Jews. He said, regarding zeal, persecuting the church. In fact, even uh, in Acts chapter 9, when his conversion is described, he was on his way to, to capture Christians. So he persecuted the church. Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Now get this. He said, when it comes to man's rules, I crossed every T and dotted every I. Every external thing that I might do, if I realized I needed to do it, I did it. And so as Paul is sharing testimony here, what he is saying is this. When it comes to that life, I know it. I excelled at it. I had great fervor. I was at the top of the class. I was rising in the ranks of being a devout religious Jew. But something happened to Paul. And we see it in our text here today. He doesn't describe the narrative of his conversion experience. We have that in Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26 as he shares his personal testimony. But he does share that there was a change. He says all of this thing, all of these things I embraced no longer meant anything to me. That day was his Damascus Road conversion. On a day he was zealously carrying out his religious duties as a Jew who met Jesus. And he realized then, even though he thought he was spiritually rich, he was spiritually in poverty. I was reading this past week about a man named Alan Stanford, who's an infamous person who lost a whole lot of money 
in a matter of just one day. As part of the Stanford group, Alan Stanford invested in real estate and insurance. But he was more than shady in his dealings. In 2008, he was found guilty of operating a Ponzi scheme. And he lost his $2.2 billion net worth. He also lost a knighthood that had been bestowed on him earlier because he was now in shame. He was sentenced to 110 years in prison. This man who thought that he had the world by the tail, that everything was right, in a moment realized he was bankrupt. Paul, on the road to Damascus, thought he had the world by the tail spiritually. He thought, man, I've got all of the external things straight. I meet the approval of people. I'm esteemed by men as a devout Jew. In fact, I was born of the right stock. I've done the right things. But as I said earlier, he was so focused on, on the fact that he was a descendant of Abraham he missed the truth that he was a descendant of Adam. Every one of us is guilty of sin. Every one of us, apart from Christ, is spiritually bankrupt. When we die, no matter what the accolades may be, I was reading uh, this morning in Psalm 49, no matter what accolades you have, they don't matter. What matters is have you followed the right way, the right standing with God. It comes through faith in Christ. If someone were to ask you right now, why should God let you into your heaven, into his heaven, if you were to say, well, I did this, well, I went to this church, well, I was a good person, none of those things fill the void. But if you say, I'm a sinner in need of the grace of God, and you know what? I trusted Jesus Christ. He paid the price for me. Think about it. If you could get to heaven by what you could do, why did God send Jesus to do the job? Have you ever stopped and thought about that? If you could get to heaven by being a good person, why would God have sent Jesus to die? God's not foolish. God is all wise, and God knows the only way you can ever be in right standing with God is to say, God, I'm a sinner. God, I need you. When God's spirit convicted and Jesus spoke to, to Paul on that road to Damascus, he was changed. He went from pursuing uh, the law uh, of righteousness to trusting in faith righteousness. Paul, like that earlier bus driver, was heading the wrong way like Alan Stanford and invested in all the wrong things. But he came to his spiritual senses when he heard the word of God. Are you listening to the word of God? Are you reading the word of God? God's word convicts. He believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and he had a new life, a new loyalty. Well, let's look at Paul's life upon coming to know Jesus. It was a life headed in the right direction. It was a life of excellence filled with purpose. In our text, really, Paul is dividing his life into two categories, what he was and what he did before his conversion, who he is, and what he does afterward. All of that happened when Paul's life changed. Have you had a life change today? Have you come to the point in your life where you have realized 
Lord, I've been running my own life. I need Jesus as Lord of my life. Paul believed the one who could save him. He believed in Jesus. And I want you to see how he describes that righteousness that he now knows in verse 8 and verse 9. He says, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Where is his right standing? Knowing, not just knowing facts, but experientially, personally knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. What is he saying here? That this righteousness that he has found is from God. It's an imputed righteousness. Paul, all of his life before he came to know Christ, he was trying to put money into his own account, but it was just swiveling away. What he realized was when he came to know Christ, Christ imputed that money onto his account. It would be as if you had a child in need and you knew that you could place the money on that child's account. You did it. Not any merit on behalf of the child, but because you loved that child. He has a righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. This righteousness comes through Christ. It's by God's grace. But he says here it's accessed by faith. He says it's a decision. Paul said, for this I've suffered all things. He made a conscious decision to choose a way that many people wouldn't choose that may cause suffering. Nonetheless, was the right way to right standing with God. And very importantly here, we see in verse 8 that it was a righteousness, or verse 9 rather, from apart from the law not having a righteousness from the law. It's separated from the law. And so here describes Paul's conversion experience, the result of it. He realized that his righteousness didn't come from his work, but it was bestowed by God. He accepted Jesus Christ in, in Christ's mandate on his life. He chose to follow Christ. He separated himself from any type of external allegiance to the law but realized that when he was transformed spiritually, he would live victoriously in the law. And that leads to a final point today. The two ways are mutually exclusive. There's no connecting point between you and I trying to get to heaven by what we do and realizing that we can't do it and getting to heaven through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He didn't say no one comes to the Father but by obeying the law. He said no one comes to the Father except by me. And so here in Philippians chapter 3, Paul sets in opposition each way from the other. The efforts of the flesh are distinct from placing faith in Jesus Christ. The effort to try to seek right standing by what I do is totally distinct from realizing I can't do enough in trusting in Jesus Christ for my right standing. A merely external religion trying to do right is not the same as being inwardly transformed 
by Jesus Christ. Paul warned of the danger of the wrong way. In fact, in verse 1, he says, it's not a trouble for me to warn you about this. It's so important for me to warn you about the danger, the proclivity of so many people to try to gain right standing by what they do. He, and so he follows by saying, this is a safeguard for you. And what does he say? Watch out for the dogs. Dogs were considered vile to Jews. But it's very interesting here. He says, watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. What is he saying here? He's saying here, those who try to tell you that you can get right standing by what you do, they're wrong. They're vile. They're working evil. He was speaking here specifically about a group of Judaizers who were saying faith in Christ is not enough. You must follow the works of the law. They were trying to emphasize an external thing. But notice what Paul says. We are the circumcision. We are the circumcision, verse 3. He's going beyond the external to the internal. And basically what he's saying is, as he says elsewhere, we need a circumcision of the heart, which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, you can't have it both ways. Right now in your life, you're either trusting Jesus Christ for eternal security or you're trusting yourself. I don't know about you. I don't want to trust myself one second. I'm a sinner. I, I fail. My motives are not always right. My attitudes are not always right. My words are not always right. If I trust in myself, I will fail. Our oldest son, Wilson, gave me a book for uh, my birthday titled Gentle and Lowly. I was reading a couple of other books, so I set it there for about a month. Uh, but I picked it up last week. It's written by a man named Dane Ortland. And it's so important. Ortland mentions in the book how we're often guilty of presenting a caricature of God, that God is waiting to just harm us, that God's a vindictive God, and, and God is vindictive. God does bring judgment. God is a just God. But what he says is if we would trust Christ, we would experience the mercy of God. Those who who face the vindication of, of the Lord, they're those who would reject God. But basically, the premise of the book is this. Anybody that will sincerely come to God will find the mercy of God, that God is waiting for us to come to him. He gladly accepts us, even the most vile criminal, even the person who has done the most um, terrible things can experience the mercy of God if he or she would come to God. When this book, Ortland shares a little parable that depicts this spiritual truth. And the parable was this. There was a very affluent doctor who, from the benevolence of his heart, decided he wanted to go do medical mission work for an extended period of time in a third world country. He basically gave up his practice. He was very affluent. He did not expect anything financially in return. He didn't need anything. He went solely to try to help this area that was facing a major epidemic. He flew in medical equipment. 
He flew in antibiotics ahead of him, and he arrived at the place. As he prepared to provide the medical assistance that was actually life-saving for villages, he was greatly disturbed to find out people didn't want his help. They saw him set up shop, so to say, and they would see, and they say, no, I don't want it. I'll figure it out myself. Orland goes on to share in the parable that finally a few brave men approached the doctor and decided to trust the doctor for help. And Orland asked this question, what do you think the doctor felt as this began to happen? Joy. Joy. And he said this, his joy rose to the degree that the sick came to him. It didn't come from money he could get. That wasn't why he came. His joy came and rose as the number increased who came to him. And Orland adds, that's the whole reason he came. So it is with Jesus. There's nothing you can offer him that would gain his approval. You know what makes him joyful is when you come to him and say, I need your help. Wouldn't you add to the Lord's joy today and say at this moment, Lord Jesus, I trust you. I trust you as the answer. I believe on you. Well, back to that opening story. I'm so glad that one of the counselors awakened before we actually or the group actually got to Kentucky. And I was told that when the counselor awakened and realized that he saw the sign heading toward Lexington, we were headed the wrong way. And so he approached the bus driver, and it took him about five minutes to convince the bus driver. But finally, the bus driver complied. Finally, he realized he came to an awareness, I'm heading the wrong way. And that's important because the next step was he had to turn the bus around. Instead of heading 75 north, he headed 75 south and then got on the right path home. And although they made it late, they arrived. That's called repentance. Repentance is in our spiritual lives when we realize I've been living my life all on the wrong path. It's been about me, about what I've done, about who I have, about all of my accomplishments. Repentance is realizing that all of that, as Paul says here, is dung. If I can borrow, let let me use a a euphemism here, poo-poo, how about that? He said all of that stuff means nothing, nothing, save I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is saying, God, I'm heading the wrong way, and I'm stepping in the right way in faith toward you. Will you do that today? I pray you've done that. If you've not done that, I'm going to pray with you in just a moment. If you have done that, we need to be communicating that truth to our friends. Because so many people are headed the wrong way and don't know it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the salvation that comes through faith in Christ. Lord, you realize that we cannot save ourselves, so you sent Jesus down. And Lord, 
As I pray this prayer, there may be individuals here that would join me in this prayer of first-time prayer of repentance. And the prayer is this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, although I've tried to do right, Lord, I fall short of your glory. Lord, while I may trust in who I am, Lord, in reality, I'm a child of Adam, and Adam sinned, and Lord, I sin. Lord, instead of trusting in my own efforts, which fall short, I believe Jesus died for me, and I place my trust in Jesus this moment. Lord, accept me. Lord, just like that story of the missionary, there's nothing I can bring that would add anything to you, but just by me coming to you and admitting I need you, I believe it brings you great joy, and you would accept me. Father, I turn from my sin and place my faith in you. Lord, if any prayed that prayer today, just seal that decision in the heart. And Lord, there are others here today who maybe have already prayed that prayer. But Lord, they have friends who don't know you. Lord, give us a spiritual unrest that, Lord, we would communicate this simple yet profound message of a new life, a life based on faith in you. Father, we love you and lift this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to come and